All right, grab your Bibles uh, and follow along with me this morning as we are in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 6, and it's going to be a, you're going to see that it's going to be just a short little two verses, but if you know me well enough, there's no such thing as short verses equal short sermon. So um, 1 Timothy chapter 6. Page 993, I believe, in your pew Bible. Verses 1 and 2. Let all who are under the yoke as slaves regard their own masters as worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. Those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers. Rather, they must serve all the better those who benefit by their good service. For those who benefit are, by their good service are believers and beloved. Teach and urge these things. Turn to your left. To Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. I informed uh, our worship team and uh, those who gathered for prayer before that uh, you're going to get two sermons this morning for the price of one, so lucky you. Here we go. 6 chapter verses uh, 15 through 23. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you, what does it say? Obey. Either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, having become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. Isn't that kind of a kick right there? (laughs) Because you don't get it. Just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. When you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? The things of those Uh, The end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of... Huh. Slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification. And its end, eternal life. Now those of you who have your Bible open, we're reading 23 together. For 
the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, so we're talking about slavery. And when we talk about slavery in our North American context, immediately we go where? Yeah, we go to the South. We start thinking, man, this is the kind of slavery, man, uh, those are just bitter pictures of what slavery looks like. You, I, I remember seeing in some of the textbooks in the school that I went to of just tattered backs that would just be ripped to shreds. Just terrible masters, evil kind of things that would take place. People who had no rights, who, who had no voice, who were just bought and sold. And here in Romans... Let's go to 1 Timothy 6. Paul is saying, he, he is not doing this advocating and just saying, okay, listen, we are going to be, uh, we're working for slave rights. Let's create a whole uh, movement. Let's create a revolution. Let's create a, you know, this is not his emancipation proclamation. In fact, if you look in Romans chapter 6, he is saying, listen, you are now no longer slaves of sin, but you're slaves to God. You're slaves to righteousness. You're slaves to God. You are in a different category now. So all of us here, all of us, no matter where you are in this journey towards Christ, in Christ, we are all slaves. All of us. Absolutely all of us. We are either slaves to sin, we are in bondage to, the, to our flesh, our desires, our wants, our needs. We're, we're captivated by that, and we're under that kind of bondage, and it's constantly pressing in and pushing on every side. Or we have been set free by the work of Jesus Christ, set free by his blood, and we are now slaves to God. And 23 says here, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. That's a different kind. Man, I want to be under that kind of slavery, that free gift from God, His grace. Oh, it compels me to work out my salvation with fear and trembling, with joy and satisfaction found in Christ for the work that he's done. He is a different kind of slave master, if you will. And it requires a different kind of working out my daily life. And Paul is speaking to the church in Ephesus, saying, listen, some of you have been born into a system of slavery physically born into a system of slavery. You had no choices. You've been bought, you've been sold. Some of you uh, sold yourself into it because of debt. Whatever it is, you are under some kind of slavery system. And some of you, ha, ah, thanks be to God, have been saved by grace. You have found new life in Christ while you're under bondage of a slave master. But let's talk about how you live out your life as one who has been saved by grace, 
who happens to be under the bondage of a different master. It is very easy in in our day and age to feel victimized. Everything around, around us says that you are a victim of this. You're a victim of terrible parenting. You're a victim of a terrible boss. You're a victim of financial circumstances. You're a victim of all these kind of things. So the question is, how do, how do we respond to God's call? How do we be good Christian victims? How do we be good Christian slaves when things are not just and things are not right? How do we, how do we as the body of Christ work differently since we've been saved by grace? So what is being said here today, this issue of slavery in 1 Timothy chapter 6 is not just this this foreign kind of, well, that applied in Paul's time. We really don't have slaves today. So it's, let's move on to the next section to something a little bit more practical. This is true for us today. Absolutely true for us today. And Paul is giving us an idea, a picture into some wisdom from the mind of God of how then we react. Because it speaks to us. So this morning I just want to offer quickly so that I can get to my second sermon. Five observations. First observation, and this is absolutely obvious to you but might not feel like it's good news the first is life isn't fair do i have an amen okay it's absolutely true isn't it where it's like why has this seriously i've been dealt this hand this is not fair what have i done to deserve this i'm a good person i i have done so much better and the reality is that most of the slaves in the roman world at that time were born into that. And that doesn't sound fair, that doesn't sound right. It wasn't because they committed any crime or that they got into debt or ended up into slavery because of their own consequences, their own things, because of their own consequences. They were born as slaves. And that isn't fair. That doesn't seem right. It isn't fair that, honestly, that some people were born today into comfortable homes here in America where we have beautiful homes where, by world standards, we live on estates. We have huge homes. I don't care if you go, seriously, have you seen my apartment? Compared to the rest of the world, you are living as kings and queens. But yet, there are others who are born into tremendous poverty. Tremendous poverty, where they can barely eke out any kind of existence to survive. It isn't fair that some people have families who love them deeply and treat them kindly, but yet there's, there's other families, people who are born into families, where there's just a tremendous amount of abuse. Maybe that's been your 
your thing, where you've got, man, every, look at my friends, they got just great parents, they got great family, and when they get together, it's all kinds of love and joy, and oh, I, I want that, but look at my family, these people are, my father is abusive, my mother is just, she's just this kind of waify woman, and what, what's going on, you know, I, this isn't fair, this isn't right, but we've got to face it, life is not fair, and the Bible, the Bible never pretends any differently. Sin and its devastating effects make this evil world the most unfair place, period. Sin and its devastating effects. Make it awful. And the Bible is clear is also clear that if we got what was fair, if we got what we deserved as believers in Jesus Christ, if we really got what we deserved, we would go straight to hell because we deserve that. We rebelled against God and His perfect will, His perfect design. Every one of us Every one of us has cast off God's rightful rulership and sought to live our own lives according to my needs, my desires, my wants, my feelings, my preferences, my this, me, me, me. And disregarded God and his rightful rule. And when we say that I don't deserve to be treated as I have been treated, we only reveal our true pride that lifts up ourselves against a holy God as if we claim some kind of right against him. We deserve God's wrath. We deserve God's judgment because of our rebellious, our self-willed ways. Any earthly comforts that we have, that we enjoy, are because, are not because we deserve them. Anything that we have this morning, this week, that is good and beautiful and delicious and loving and caring is not because we deserve them. They only come from His undeserved kindness. Period. The second observation is that life, life can have hope no matter how unfairly you've been treated. Life can have hope. The good news of the gospel brings hope to those who are in absolute despair. The gospel can shine into rat-infested, the most foulest prisons, and give instant hope for eternal life to a condemned prisoner. In Paul's day, the good news that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom Paul says he is the worst, meant that these people who were treated, these human beings who were treated as animals, could become gifted members of the body of Christ with equal status with their masters before God. 
That is good news. That there is hope if you are in Christ. The reality is that political or economic solutions only offer superficial hope. Man, we could, we could, we could buy into whatever, whatever president is bringing their economic changes and their political changes, whether you be a Republican or you be Democrat, whether you be Green Party, you be independent, whatever it is. All these things that they bring are superficial and temporary. In a few years, there's going to be this political battle again for the White House. And all these seats are going to be uplifted. We're going to be going, oh, vote for this guy, vote for this guy, vote for that. Oh, man, you're, you're voting for him, we're voting for her, you're voting, what, seriously? And we forget about where true hope is found. True hope is not found in a political office. True hope is found only in Jesus Christ. Paul could have campaigned against all these Roman uh, slave masters. He could have brought a call to bring this injustice to an end. As a Roman citizen, he could have petitioned Caesar and said, listen, Caesar, do you understand what you're doing? This is not right. We've got to bring an end to this. Caesar, stop this. But he chose not to. He chose not to fight for better working conditions. He chose not to fight for higher wages. He chose not to fight for health care. He chose not to fight for paid vacations. Sound familiar anywhere? And some of you are going, leave my union alone. But even better, if Paul would have succeeded, what, what would he have accomplished? Slaves would have lived a better and easier life. They would have had vacation times in the mountains with their family. Maybe better eating conditions, you know, better clothes. They could have looked a little sharper as slaves, but they'd still die and go to hell if they did not repent of their sins and trust in Christ. I'm not suggesting that we don't fight for justice issues where there's injustice. But I think that we've got to keep in mind what truly is the most important thing when we are fighting for justice. It's the good news of Jesus Christ. If we don't bring in the good news of Jesus Christ into every situation, we're bringing super, superficial hope. If we're just bringing in good acts and good works into these situations, if we go into Roseland and just say, hey, here's some financial assistance. Hey, we're going to volunteer and we're going to be really good people. And never bring the gospel, the good news that brings salvation. We're bringing super, superficial hope. So Paul preached the gospel to the slaves and to the slave owners. The third thing that you need to know, after life isn't fair, but life can offer hope no matter how badly you've been treated, is the next thing is becoming a Christian doesn't solve all your problems. If I don't get an amen from that, you're sleeping already. Because how many of us have become Christians, followers after Christ, and you get smacked up and you go, seriously? Again? I'm a Christian. I thought this was supposed to solve everything and make everything really hunky-dory and really nice. These slaves weren't instantly liberated from their slavery 
the minute they believed in Jesus. Many of them died still in slavery. And the minute that they became believers in Jesus Christ, they still had to get up and meet the demands of their master. However, they also understood that there was a master even greater who was the Lord of all, who in fact appointed Caesar, who appointed all these people into their positions. They might not realize it, but you know what? There is a king who is greater, a master who is greater, a master who gives free gifts and loves his people tremendously. But becoming a Christian doesn't immediately make things pretty. You don't walk down this primrose path of, oh, me and Jesus. You and Jesus just holding hands. Oh, how sweet this is. In fact, here's just an example from, if if you need a reminder of what Christian life kind of looks like, read a little bit from Hebrews 11. This is their abundant life. Listen to this. Through faith, They conquered kingdoms. They obtained promises. They stopped mouths of lions. They quenched the power of fire. They escaped the edge of the sword, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received their dead by resurrection. And you're going, yeah, but. Some were tortured. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. Hmm. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. Make sure you include that concept in your idea of abundant life in Christ. Even Jesus Christ. The Son of Man didn't even have a place to lay his head. Foxes have their holes, you know, the place where they go. But Christ himself experienced the same thing. So maybe something about our North American, South Suburban lifestyle is missing. We build up our nice fences, our gates, and our communities. Some of us might even live in probably not in this community, this church. We don't live in gated communities, but in some way we do. We keep our front doors shut, maybe even locked. We escape all these things just to be safe and comfortable. Here, I'm, I'm going to even push on something right here. Some of us are scared to death to go into Roseland because we want to cling onto safety and security. We refuse to go into places where there's risk, but yet these people lived in, in the wake of risk for the sake of the gospel. Is there something missing from our theology and our practical theology, the way that we live it out, that we don't want to take risks as slaves to God and His righteousness? Listen, my, my kids need to be safe. I, my car might get stolen. What about this? I don't know how this is all going to work out. Get out of your bubble. And if you can't get out of your bubble, maybe this isn't the right church for you. 
There, I've said it. Move with the gospel, trusting God fully for all of his provisions. And here's, here's the next observation. Becoming a Christian does deal with your root problem. It deals with your root problem. Your root problem is selfish rebellion against God. That's your root problem. If that problem isn't dealt with through the cross of Jesus Christ before you die, you will spend eternity, eternity away from God's presence. Suffering eternal punishment, becoming a Christian through faith in Christ takes care of the most basic need. The most basic need. Skip, skip, so I can get to my second sermon. Our fifth, my fifth observation is this. Dealing with the root problem of self is a lifelong process. Not a once and for all deliverance. You and me are selfish, rebellious, self-willed, and maybe some of us are a little bit more, think that we're a little bit more holier than thou. Let me sit down for about five minutes with your significant other. Let me sit down with your spouse and we'll get to the root of the problem. It is a lifelong journey towards holiness. Lifelong journey. It's not a Jesus and me, saved by grace, all right, I'm done. 